Morning, Cornerstone. Where's all the University of Arizona fans? That was pretty pathetic, I gotta say. All right, where's all the Arizona State University fans? Where's the NAU fans? Sorry about last night there uh, at the game, but I'll tell you what, the reason I say that is because I had a problem growing up. Both of my parents went to, graduated from, and got degrees from the University of Arizona. So, all you mild cats, I'm sorry, wild cats out there, that's great. But I was an ASU guy. We lived here in the, in the Phoenix area, and I knew I was going to be an ASU guy. And I'm not competitive or anything like that. I kept score. I kept score at everything, and it was two for U of A, zero degrees for ASU. So I knew that my sister and I had some work cut out for us. So sure enough, about senior year in high school, I looked at my older sister, and I knew I was in deep yogurt because she was going to be no help. She was not going to go to college, most likely. So I knew it was up to me. So what I did is I went to college, I went to ASU, I got my degree, and then a few years later I went back and I got my MBA, my Master's in Business Administration. That was so cool. And it was tied. It was two to two. And I have four kids, so I was going to win. I thought that was going to be great. And then my two oldest daughters, who actually you saw up here, these two beautiful tall blondes, my girls, I'm excited, thank God, they look like their mother. I understand, that's okay. I knew ASU was finally going to win. They messed up. They didn't go to ASU. They both graduated from and got degrees from Grand Canyon University, of all places. And so I'm sidling up to my son now going, hey, son, where are you thinking of going to college, buddy? You know, just trying to just check it out. And the reason I bring that up is because I want you to know something. Our subject today is finances. It's money. There's a whole bunch of people in here that are very educated. Some of you are very educated on finances and money, and I know... I know something about it. I've tried to learn a lot, read every finance book that's out there on money and how to handle it. And I think I kind of know some things about it, but I, I got to tell you, I, I don't know everything. I don't know everything about money, and I don't know everything about life, just like a lot of you. Matter of fact, there's some things that just really kind of torque my jaws something fierce that I haven't figured out yet. And maybe this is like you. Uh, does, does this bother anybody? Why is the word abbreviated so long? Why are they called apartments if they're, if they're so close together? I never understood that. Why is there an expiration date on sour cream? I, I don't know. There's some things I just don't get. Why, why when you go to the doctor, does this concern you? You go to a guy who's got a practice. You know, when I'm sick, I want to go to a guy who's already got it figured out and knows what to do. That bugs me. Why, why do they give you a sucker at the bank? I, I wanted to go see our uh, branch manager. I walked in, and there's that little clipboard standing there, so I went in and signed my name to see. And right there on the counter, there's this fishbowl, and in it, there's a bunch of suckers. So I reached in and grabbed one. You know what it said? Dum dum. <laughs> I mean, there had to be some Freudian deal going on there, so I wasn't sure what that is. But I don't know. I started learning, and I tried to learn an awful lot about finances, and people have come to me and said, Bill, you seem to got your act together on finances, you understand a lot of that stuff. How did, how did you get like that? What happened? What was it that went through you? I said, look, I just use good judgment. Good judgment. Okay, how did you get good judgment? Uh, experience. How did you get experience? Bad judgment. <laughs> well, isn't that what happens? You get experience, you're learning from your own mistakes. Wisdom 
is learning from somebody else's mistakes. And that is going to be key to what we're talking about today because when we're looking at wisdom, all those books I read don't hold a candle to the wisdom of one book, and that is God's Word. And we're going to go into that today because God, as you know, talks an awful lot about finances. We're going to, we're going to jump into a few of those today. So before we do that, let's, let's go ahead and pray and let's get started right. Lord Jesus, uh, man, we are so thankful to be here today. God, we just lift up this hour to you. Um, we just pray that you would just uh, let the message that you've got just hit the hearts of the people. Let them have ears to hear, and the wisdom that comes from your word, God, let not be uh, messed up by the speaker today, God. We just thank you for your love. Thank you for your time, and help us as we go through this, this process today, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> I have in my pocket, this is audience participation time. This is a real $50 bill. No, I'm not giving it away, but it is real. It's a $50 bill. Audience participation. All at the same time, I'm going to ask you something, and you have to shout back to me the answer. It's a one-word answer. On the count of three, you're going to say, is this good or bad? One, two, three, go. Well, which is it? If I'm using this to buy illegal drugs, what is it? If I use it to buy legal drugs at the hospital for my sick daughter, what is it? So is it really this? Or who's got it? How about if it's how you get it and how you use it? How you get it, maybe that talks to your character and in your integrity. And how you use it, maybe that, it's going in my pocket. If, if it's how you use it, it has to do with your spirituality. And we're going to try to get into that today. I always was struggling with finances. I struggled with them about never having enough. Did anybody else have that problem or was it just me? I always thought, man, how come it's... I was always struggling. I was looking at, there had to be $100 bills floating by, and how come they weren't coming to me? But I'll tell you, I sure talked a good talk. When I was dating my wife, you can't believe some of the stuff I told her. Well, you guys, you probably can. I told her things like, honey, marry me, and you are not going to believe it. We are going to have mansions in the hills. We're going to have nine kids. We had big dreams. I said, we're going to have, you're going to have a maid that is, you're going to have a house so big your maid is, is going to need a writing, a writing vacuum cleaner. How's that? Is that a big house? Honey, you're going to have all this great stuff. And I had to say all that stuff because there was a whole bunch of maggots circling her, and I had to cut her out of the herd early or else I was going to lose out. So I had this stuff I was going to tell my wife on why she needed to, to marry me. And you know what I did as soon as we got married? We moved in to a massive 550-square-foot apartment. And it was an incredible apartment. I mean, the construction was great. The walls were so thin that if the guy in the apartment next door changed his mind, we heard it. <laughs> we're talking some thin walls. So we had all these problems going through, and it wasn't quite working, and I was getting frustrated. And then, trying to be one of these new Christian guys as a new married guy, started reading the Bible about what God had to say about money. And I knew I was just going to be blessed by reading all this. And I started with Believe it or not, as I was reading through the Bible, I came to Ecclesiastes. So we're going to jump through a whole bunch of stuff in here. So go to Ecclesiastes with me. If you've got your Bibles with you, it's going to be up on the screens as well. This is basically right in the middle. You're going to see uh, Psalms and Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes is there. So Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. I read this. I was so excited. Whoever loves money never has money enough. That was not what I wanted to hear. And then it continues. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Is that anybody else in here or was that just me? That just irked me. I said, I'm supposed to be learning about all this money thing and I was so broke I couldn't even pay attention, let alone pay the bills. 
I was struggling to make money. Let me ask you a question. Same thing I had to look at is, why do you buy the stuff you buy? If you think right now, if you go to your house and you look around at all the stuff you've got, and it's, some, it's great stuff. There's nothing wrong with stuff. I like stuff. I like nice stuff. Nothing wrong with that stuff. But why do you buy the things you buy? I think it's got to do with some consumerism. We've got Madison Avenue telling us we need it. It's the newest. It's amazing. It's cool. And not only that, our neighbors have it. And their name is Jones, apparently, because we've got to keep up with the Joneses. So we're getting all this stuff, and it winds up becoming... I even call it this. I'll call it status. And I heard a great definition of status the other day. It said, people spending money they don't have to buy things they don't really want or need to impress people they don't like. It's status, which is kind of stupid. And you know what? I had it. At one time in my life, I had a Mercedes 500 SEL and a Cadillac Sedan DeVille. And I was driving both of them. Not at the same time, of course. But my wife wouldn't drive either one. She had her minivan that she liked. I wound up, I had my own company for a lot of years. I was a stock trader, did seminars around in Europe and the United States, and, you know, money was cool. I had it. It wasn't a big deal. And I started reading and reading and reading more about what God had to say about money, and it got my attention. Let me ask you this. How did you, how did you learn how to have a great marriage, for those of you that are married? Was it, was it from books? Was it from our parents? And until we start reading, a lot of us take our examples in life from where we are, who's around us. And for a lot of us, I'll tell you, statistically, if you learn to have a great marriage from your parents, about half of us in here are in really uh, bad shape. My folks got divorced when I was seven. And I knew with my wife and I, we talked about this before we got married, we weren't about to get divorced. We wouldn't even mention it. We did one of those things that says, we will never go to bed angry. And we, we did that. We never went to bed angry. Uh, although that one time on the fifth day of being awake, it was a really tough time. <laughs> but we did that never going to bed angry thing. And now I must say that we have had 27 years of marriage, and it's been nine of the happiest years of my life. And <laughs> is my wife laughing? Okay. Anyway, we did that, and I, we learned about that from our parents. Let me ask you this. On your finances, if we learn from our parents about finances, some of you, that's really good news. Some of you, that, that may not be real good news. So the Bible talks so much about it, it is full of wisdom, so let's go there. We're going to now move a little bit to the right, still in the Old Testament. We're going to go right in your Bible about this much, okay? That's uh, to one of our minor prophets. Minor prophets is not because they don't have anything important to say. It's because they wrote really small books, and they're at the end of the Old Testament. So if you're at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you're a little too far, start leafing to the left a little bit till you get to Haggai, or Haggai, depending on what seminary you probably went to. So if we go there to Haggai 1, chapter 1, verse 5, it says this. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. I read that really fast because I didn't care about my ways because my ways were really good in my own eyes. I don't know about you. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm, and listen to this. <laughs> you earn wages only to put them in a purse or a wallet or a pocket with holes in it. Anybody else feel that way? Man, I remember the time before direct deposit, I'd get my paycheck and I would run to the bank on Friday because I had to get that thing deposited because I had to cover the check I wrote for groceries on Thursday night. No matter what raise I got, I tried to get that to the bank right away because we had already spent it. I never had enough. I didn't love money, of course. If I loved money, I'd have a lot of it, right? So it must not be me. It wasn't what I was spending, of course. It must be something else. And then I read stuff like this. 
And after the end of it, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Verse 7 is exactly the same as verse 5. Not that many places in the Bible do they say the exact same thing in two out of three verses. I think that's kind of important, kind of like when the Bible says, verily, verily. It's like, listen up. I got something important to say. Consider your ways. And I was wondering, well, what ways are those? Is it how I'm spending my money? So I started doing some studying in here, and I got, I got a little uptight about a few things. Because I was talking about money, I had all these dreams and great goals of things that I wanted to do and places I wanted to go and things I wanted to have, which I don't see anything wrong with those folks. However, there's an issue of the heart that we're going to talk about today. That's what I want you to key on. As we go through some of these things, I want you to look at the heart and how do you feel about some of this stuff. Sometimes, I know there are people in a crowd this big, as we start talking about this, some of you are just going to tighten up a little bit. And it's a matter of your heart. Let's think that through a little bit. Sure, that you've got to do some things to handle money correctly. You've got to track. You've got to do that dreaded B word, the budget. Uh, when, you're, when your lifestyle is smacking right up on your income, you're going to have a problem if you don't change something. One thing I recommend you don't do, don't try to live the lifestyles of the rich and famous when you are neither. It doesn't work very well. Because what you've got happening is, a cute phrase I learned a long time ago, it says if, you're, if your outflow is more than your income, your upkeep is going to be your downfall. And so many people look at that cute little phrase, that's so cute, but think it through. There's some interesting things you can use from cliches and good, uh, good little things like that. There's another thing that I find fascinating. Consumerism is huge in the United States. Some of you have been to other countries. You've been around the world, and most of us, when we travel, we go to these, we go to these great touristy places. But if you've never been into Africa where tourists don't go, or South America, or Central America, you will not believe your eyes. TV does not do a good enough job explaining the poverty that we have and the wealth that we have in the United States, even though a lot of us say, I don't feel wealthy. Do you, you know that the people in the United States, I read this, on welfare in the top 2% income bracket in the, United, in, the, in the world, people on welfare in the United States, that is amazing. We've got the cleanest water in the world, and we spend more on bottled, well, anyway, we can go into all that stuff. There's something else I like to talk about as we look at how we teach our children, something I like to call the toddler disease. Some of you moms know this well. You got two kids, and they're playing with their toys, and this guy's playing with this toy, and this one over here is playing with this toy. The one over there puts the toy down and goes to play with something else. Not a problem. Playing with something else, it's cool. Until this toddler sees that toy. What happens when he toddles on over and gets that toy? And when this one turns and sees the toy that he has no interest in anymore, that he used to have, what happens? Beeline over there, and it's all one word they usually yell at. What is it? Mine! It's mine! And if this is a passive child he's taking away from, just sits there and screams, and the other child takes. But when there's two type A personalities, a fight ensues. And if one finally gets it, they bonk the other one on the head with it and wins. We kind of do that in life, but that's another sermon. I'm going to ask you something. What do we normally see the mature adults now do at that? We do the right thing. We say, little Johnny, stop that. Be nice. Share. Be kind. It's okay. Share your things. Be generous. Have love for each other. I wonder, do we take our own advice as we get older? And what we try to teach our kids, when there's people in need, the people that don't have, are we able to be generous? Are we able to share? 
You know, and there's people that always talk about this, and the, when the Bible talks about this, they say it much more precisely than we do. And I want to go to a little bit further to another of the Old Testament minor prophets. It's called, um, well, it's, it's the big Italian prophet that most of you have heard of, Malachi. If we'll just go a little bit to the, uh, the right. All right, Malachi is fine too. Malachi, it'll be up on the screens. Chapter 3, starting at verse 8. This is where it gets a little intense, guys. This is as I was learning and listening to this. This is where I got a little uncomfortable. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Ah, man, I didn't want to hear that. In tithes and offerings. Give me a break. Come on now. There's got to be something better in here. You are under a curse. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. The whole nation of you because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now watch this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That's talking to a nation. It's not talking to row 17, seat 4 in here. It's not a, not a way to get wealthy. If I will just give, because the pastor said, I will be blessed and get wealthy. This is not that prosperity is going to dump on you because you give. It doesn't work like that. You don't give to get you give in obedience to Christ. That's what he's asking you to do. Does God need your money? Well, I've heard that. I've heard the answer is no. But how come all these pastors seem to talk about money, money, money all the time? Well, really. You know, I've only been here a couple of years, folks, at this church. And I understand the pirate series that we did in February this year was the first time in the history of Cornerstone that we had done a series on stewardship. Usually it's once, maybe twice a year that money is the subject. We don't talk about money very much. But when we do, it's because, it's because God wants us to. What has God been talking about through Lynn these last few weeks? Margin. Margin in your life. We're talking today about margin in your finances. Does God need your money? No. Watch this. If we, if we use this candle just as a quick little example of God, and we light the candle and say, you know, God's got everything. God's got everything, okay? We look at him and say, pretty cool. I like that. It's pretty easy. Is God diminished when he blesses you with anything? If you come up and say, God, for whatever reason, you've blessed me. Thank you, Lord. And you get some blessing from God for whatever reason. You've got, there it is. This is you and you're blessed. You have some. I don't think the candle diminished or went down at all by sharing a candle does not have less light when you light another candle, and God doesn't do that when he shares with you. Conversely, watch this. Because even Bill Gates, if he gave his entire net worth to God, it's like this. Here you go, God, I'm giving it all back to you. There you go. I don't think that burst with new light, did it? God's got it all. It's like if we all go to San Diego this afternoon, which I personally think is what we ought to do, and we go to the beach, and we all take a grain of sand, and then we come back, and we do it tomorrow, and we do it tomorrow. And we, how long would we have to do that before we empty the beach of sand? There's not enough time. Because each and every day, what happens? God's providing more and more and more sand. It isn't a matter that we can outgive God. And it's not, it is not about the money. It's not about, it's not about this church's finances. 
You can look in the bulletin, can't you, and see where we are financially week to week? You could see what we're behind in budget right now. Do you know what? I believe there's the people that are sitting in this room today, if you chose to, like that, in one day we could make that up. I'm not asking you to do that. We are going to have our regular tithes and offerings in a minute. And if God is speaking to you, that's great. If he is not, if you're a guest, this is your first time here, and you're saying, oh, man, I came on the day they're talking about money. What a bummer. (laughs) You know what? I'm not talking to you. If you are here and you think Cornerstone is your home and you like this place and the things that are happening, I think God is talking to you. But if you are one of those people that's been struggling with money like I did for years, and you've got that little bit of cynical stuff saying, is this going to be about money and giving here? Here's what I want you to do. Don't give. Today. You should. If this is your church home, this is one of the places you should be giving. But if you just can't quite get your arms around it today, did you ever go to church with your parents growing up? Perhaps you did or something like that. You know what? Why don't you do this? Why don't you write a check after you've prayed at home? And then maybe you should send it to that church where you grew up that your folks took you to and bless that church or bless a parachurch ministry around the United States that you believe in just so your heart is not troubled that you think we're trying to get in your pocket today for us. It's not about this church. It's not about our finances. It's about you and it's about your heart and it's about being obedient to God. You with me on that? Okay. All right, so now, as we're going to go through this, stay there, God. Okay. When we talk about the, the finances and about you and your heart, remember what Lynn was talking about? said, are you willing to give everything to him? Remember Lynn up here? All right, God, I'm yours. I give you everything. What box? Oh, This? Oh, no, it's just, I gave you everything. No, no, it's just one little box, God. It's not a big deal. I'm yours. You want the box. What box are you hiding? For Lynn, it was being a missionary. God, don't send me to Africa. All right, all right. If you're sending me, I'll go. Here, if you want me to go to Africa, I'll go. And God said to Lynn, what did he say? Never mind. Just wanted to know that you were willing. Abraham and Isaac. Now, here's a guy who I thought raised his son well. Can you imagine Isaac? Hey, uh, Dad, where's the uh, sacrifice for the altar we just built here, buddy? What? Wow. And Isaac did what? Okay. All right, God. And God told Abraham, don't harm a hair on his head. You are willing. That's all I wanted. Are you willing? The rich young ruler, there's lots of other things we can talk about. Rich young ruler had an opportunity and blew that one. Are you willing is all he needs to know. Go in your Bibles now. I need you to turn way to the right near the end. We're going to go to uh, 1 Timothy near the end of your Bible. A lot of verses in here. We'll try to go through a couple of them pretty fast. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And that was my biggest challenge. I wasn't happy. I always tell, I, I used to tease people, say, I'm happily discontent. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. I have never yet at a funeral seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. You can't take it with you. You can leave it behind, and I think there's great things. Yes, trust funds, I got one. You have your retirement funds? Fabulous. My for it? Yeah, nice things? Cool. But what's the heart say? 
Are you willing and are you still being that fruit of the Spirit? Are, are you even doing the fruit of being a good tree? A good are you giving? When we stood over here and walked across this stage a couple of weeks ago, and 2,000 people walked across this stage from wherever you were. It was, man, I'm, I'm kind of just getting this Christ thing down, and I kind of believe, but man, I'm having a hard time with some of that stuff, but okay, I'm, I'm here. Oh, at work, I'm back over here, but at church, I'm kind of over here, da, 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 dancing around a little bit. And those of you that are believers say, I want to go to be a growing person. I've been a Christ follower for 10 years. Really? Where's the fruit? What are you doing? I've accepted Christ. What's happened after that? And if we're growing, how do we get to be a mature believer in Christ? It has nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian. It's what you're doing with that time. So as we're going through this whole thing, and you look at 1 Timothy, and, it's, and he goes, for we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of it. Wow. Then the big verse coming up in 10, the one so many people have quoted, most of the time wrong. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money. And say, I don't love money. Really? What do you do with yours? How'd you like to show your checkbook around? I love God. Really? I don't doubt you at all. Don't show me. Show your spouse. Show your friends. Here's what I believe in. Here's what I love. Your checkbook tells a lot about you, doesn't it? That's hard to hear. I hated when the pastor said that. So I thought I'd use it on you, so I just look for the love from you guys. Command those who are rich in this present world. We skip down to number 17, verse 17. Not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. It's a willingness. Bill, you, you just don't get it, man. I want to give. I really do. You know, if I won the lottery, then I would give. No, you wouldn't. The guy that won the lottery gave $3 million. You saw that on the news this week. He gave it to his church. I would pretty much guess that he was giving before that. In all the marriage counseling, financial counseling I have done, more often than not, if there's a financial problems, it leads to marriage problems. If you cannot get the finances in control, giving is huge. It is a huge part of that. If you're struggling right now with finances, you're struggling in your marriage, and you're saying, I just can't afford to give, Bill, you don't get it. I can't give right now. My wife lost her job. Do you know what my job is like? I'm on the bubble right now. Did you see the economy? The presidential election, the stock market's in the toilet, my son's got lump puckaroo, the cat had diarrhea, I got to replace the carpet. Come on. That's not it. It's what is your heart saying? And are you willing? Are you willing to give? And you don't want to give to get. It isn't trading. I was a stock trader. I understand trading. This isn't trading. It isn't giving to get. It is obedience to Christ. Watch with this. If we go to James 4.3, continue on to the right a little bit as we're making our way through. James chapter 4, verse 3. Actually, the last sentence in verse 2. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. And here it comes, verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Wow. That you spend. On I said, God, if you would just bless me, I would be more than happy to give. I have a few things on my wish list. I want to get those taken care of first, but then I would give to you. 
You ask but don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. There's a principle I want to give you here. And if you get nothing else out of what I say today, how about this? A principle. It's a principle. Giving. Giving will break the chains, the bondage, the power that money and greed have on your life. Giving will break that. And like I said, if there's somebody who say, well, it's the dude's just after the emotional thing to give here, don't. If this is your place, this is your church, this is home, give because that's what you've already decided in your heart to do from 2 Corinthians. But if you're just struggling with that, why don't you give somewhere else then? That's funny coming from the money guy here, huh? But it's about your heart. It's not about us, and it's not about our church finances. It's about you and your heart. The mirror is right back at you, just like I had to look at me for years to get that right. It wasn't overnight. I wish it was, but it wasn't. If you are asking and not receiving, and you're looking at that principle, perhaps we may want to go back to Haggai where it says, consider your ways. Perhaps we may want to consider that God may be saying to you, I don't, I don't think I can trust you with any more money right now. You're not giving now, and if you get more money, you may just spend it on yourself. When somebody said that to me, that hurt. I wanted to be able to get the principle down. I wanted to be able to do all the things that I wanted to do for me and my family. And I knew I would be better off. I knew my family would be better off, my, my wife, my kids. I wanted to try to teach my kids the right thing about money. Having $10 bills sitting there and say, God owns it all. Look, here's one. We're going to give that back to God. He lets you keep nine. It's that great. I think they'd be excited about that. What are we teaching our kids? What example are we giving to them? A man that got so frustrated with his teenage son, he said, son, do you have any idea what Abraham Lincoln was doing at your age? And the son, without batting an eye, said, no, Dad, I don't, but I sure know what he was doing at your age. And I look at that and say, what am I teaching my kids about God's Word? What am I teaching them about finances, about biblical principles? If we give, do we give because it's the joy of our heart to give back to God? I think one of the most incredible things that could happen is when the offering comes down every week, when we receive tithes and offerings, it's a time of joy for our people as they get to give back and say, thank you, thank you, God, for what you have blessed us with. Here's a small portion of what you've blessed us with. Thank you for living in the most incredible country on the planet, in my opinion. Thank you, Lord. Luke 12, 48, paraphrase, basically says, to whom much is given, much is required. I've been in a lot of countries in my life, and I'm telling you, if you haven't, I know a lot of you have, I'm just telling you, you have been given the much. And I think you will be required much. And it's not just finances, it's you. If you have no margin in your life, as Lynn's been talking about, because you're so busy making a living, you don't have time for a life. If you have no margin in your finances when good things that come up each and every day, you have no time for that, no money to give. It's a struggle. What is true happiness? Living in obedience to Christ. I'll end you with this. 
If you walked out of here today and you got arrested and charged, it won't happen in this country, but if you got charged with being a committed, on-fire Christian, would there be enough evidence in your life right now to convict you? It's a time in my life I had to answer no. I talked a good talk, but doing was a lot harder. And I want to challenge us with that. Obedience to God because we love him. We love what he's done for us. Being able to give is part of it, that principle that it will break the bondage and chains of money in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for the message, the tough and hard message sometimes that we read your word is in each and every page of your word. God, I pray right now as as we receive our tithes and offerings this morning, God, that you're speaking to the hearts that, uh, that you need to speak with, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the money that people give from their hard-earned income, God. We ask you that the people that look at this money and have to decide where it goes, what do we do, the ministry that happens or doesn't happen, that you would make us good stewards, God. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for today. Thank you for the life you've given us. Another day in your beautiful creation, Lord Jesus. We just ask that all we do would bring glory to your name, God. In your name we pray. Amen.